Hey, good morning, everybody in the Grove Central. Good to see you guys. Good morning, all those online. Uh, we're going to do a two-part series today and on Christmas Eve talking about hope. And uh, I'm excited about it because uh, it's just a great topic, especially in this season, right? Uh, so first of all, let me just say Merry Christmas to everybody in the room. If I don't get a chance to see you before Christmas, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a great uh, week. And I pray if you haven't already finished your shopping that you're really close. And if you're really close that you won't get stressed out. Good news is you don't have to wait in lines outside, right? You can just go into the stores. That's a good thing. And uh, so I pray that you guys get all that done and there will be not, not be stressed. And you do be able to enjoy this week, all right, as we go into the Advent and to Christmas. And uh, it's just a great season. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a very different year, right? First Christmas ever living through a global pandemic. How about you? All right? This is my first Christmas going through a global pandemic. And the whole year has been kind of different, kind of crazy, right, in different ways. And so some people say it's difficult at different levels, right? So for some, on one level it's been difficult, and others it was a different kind of reason for difficulty or challenges. And so maybe today you're watching or you're here in service, and maybe this year has been a struggle with uh, maybe finances. Maybe that's been a challenge. Uh, maybe that's one of the things that weighs heavy on you during this season. Uh, can I just say, we'll, we'll talk a little about that today in a, in a little bit, just to, there's more, there's, life is more than finances, right? And God will take care of us, so don't, don't, ever, make, don't ever make that the main thing of, of your life, right? Second thing is maybe emotions. Maybe it's been an emotional year, it's been challenging, where um, you've just faced new things you never faced, you felt new things you never felt before, uh, things like that. Maybe it's a mental, more a mental challenge, that you're, you've been struggling, battling with some thoughts, and uh, maybe it's been some relationships, there's a separation between different reasons from social distancing to maybe politics or whatever. Um, whatever thing, maybe it's a spiritual. You just kind of feel maybe distant from God or maybe just in the middle of that, just kind of searching for something. So whatever your struggle is, I want to give you some hope that uh, the reason that Jesus came to earth is to help us with our struggles and to show us that there's more to life than these things that we face. And so whatever 2020 has caused in your life, the good news is God still wants to do something in and through and despite whatever we're facing, all right? And so uh, you guys are tuning in. You guys came at the right, at the right time, and so uh, we're, we're glad you're here. So I'm going to read through the Christmas story. Every year we talk about how um, it would be, it'd be really nice to, to, to read through that story to kind of see what's going on. And so I'm going to read through the Gospel of Luke. And before I jump into the Gospel of Luke, let me just give you um, um, a kind of a, some, some context, all right? So Luke is a doctor. He's a doctor who uh, traveled along with Paul, and uh, he, he's, so he's a studied, he's an educated person that is writing this letter to this man named Theophilus, a man or a group of people. We're not sure exactly who Theophilus was, but most likely um, he was somebody who chose to follow Christ, so a Christ follower, because in his, in his letter in Luke, he starts off by saying, here's my account of all the eyewitnesses that I've interviewed. So Luke took this time to go through and process and, and interview and find the stories and all the details of the, of the story of the Christmas story of Jesus' life. And he's documenting it in a letter to this man who is now a Jesus follower to encourage him and to help him. And then he, after the letter of Luke, he writes him another letter called Acts. It's the, the story of the early church, right? And so the Dr. Luke, he's writing these, these, these letters to help encourage this man and these people to be able to um, have some, some, some confidence in the story of Christ, all right? And so we're going to jump into the Gospel of Luke, where we see the biggest chunk of the Christmas story. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew also has some, has some details about Joseph, which are important. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Mary, specifically Mary, and the story of Christmas. And so we're going to start with Luke 1. I'm going to read through, and then I'm just going to point out some things and uh, help us to kind of see the context, all right, of what's going on. So Luke 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, 
And his wife Elizabeth, also descendant of Aaron. So he's given us some historical details. There's a, there's a time of the King Herod and in Judea. So some context historically, right? He says both of them are righteous. But he starts off with these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are priests. And he says they're both righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So remember that, both very old, okay, key there. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing. So um, Zechariah, is, is, it's his duty this year to go into the temple and take uh, some, some sacrifices and to, to burn some incense in like the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, right? And so he's going in, it's his job to do it. And so while he's in there doing his service, it says an angel of the Lord appears to him. Right, And it appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. So it's kind of freaked out Zechariah. And it said that the angel kind of showed up. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. So obviously Zechariah has been praying for a son, praying for a miracle. And he's old, so this prayer has probably been going on for a long time. But he says your, your prayer has been heard. You, didn't, you don't give up because your prayer has been heard. And he says your son will be named John. And he'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He's going to have a role. He's going to accomplish a lot of things. And he says he will go before the Lord. He's going to go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is the call for John the Baptist. This is what he's supposed to accomplish, right? Turn the hearts of the parents to their kids and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Did you know this is the call of my life as a pastor is to help parents understand that the role of them to, to their hearts for their kids is really important. We need strong families but also for the disobedient, people that are rebellious, people that are far from God, that they would learn the wisdom of what God has for them. And this is what God calls us to, to do this, to prepare the way for the Lord. And the angel said to him, so Zechariah doesn't believe him. And, and this is what Gabriel says. Zechariah is saying, well, how can this be? We're old. Like we've been praying this prayer, but it hasn't happened. We're really old now. And so the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. I've been, told, I've been sent to tell you this good news. I've been with God, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day until this day happens, because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Point time, another key word. God's appointed time always happens the way He says it is. Right? He's in. Hold on, because even though you can't see it yet, it's going to happen. It's going to it's going to take place. What's interesting about this story, right, is there's a similar story in the Old Testament of a man named Abraham, who God says, "I'm going to bless you." And you're going to be blessing this world. You'll have a lot of descendants, and your descendants will be a blessing to this world. But Abraham was old, and he didn't know how this was going to happen. So it was a miracle that God would even give them a child in their old age. So have this happen, same thing happens to Zechariah and Elizabeth. So it's kind of like a, a parallel, right? It's kind of showing this indication that God is up to something again. It happened with Abraham. It's going to happen again now in Israel. And so it says that after he did this, he finished up his, his certain duties. And then it says when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And then we'll put a little pause in there, a little gap. And then it says, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So he finished his job, went home, and she got pregnant, all right? Um, 
Verse 25, and the Lord, she says this, Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And in the sixth month, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth. So God does a miracle for Elizabeth, for Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? He provides a baby in their old age, and then he's not done. Now he says that's just the first part. So Luke, he wants us to know this is an important part of the story. Now let's give the next part. He says, now at this time, after six months into her pregnancy, God sends the angel to a, a girl in Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name is Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then notice what he says. Um, he says, um, the virgin's name is Mary. Um, next one, sorry. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. So then he calls her by name, right? So now he's not just saying, hey, you're favored, but now he's saying, hey, Mary, by the way, I know your name. Um, you have found favor with God. So God sent me, and he knows your name. This is significant because God knows her name. God knows your name. What's significant about Mary is, um, is she's young, a teenager. Right, so she had been one of the marginalized. One because she's Jewish, so the Roman government is oppressing the people of Israel. Um, so she's a young person, so she wouldn't have a big voice. Another thing is she's a woman; she wouldn't have a big voice in that culture in that time. Uh, so she'd be one of the marginalized, right? And then most likely, her her family, her where she was from, because of the oppression of the Roman government, they were poor. They they there was a reason Jesus taught them to sit, pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Because many of them didn't know when their next bread was going to come from, right? That's part of Jesus' prayer of saying, trust God for all things. So she was poor. She was a woman. She was a teenager, right? How much more marginalized can you get? And God shows up and says, I have something for you, but I know your name, Mary. And I've been watching. I've been paying attention. And he says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're going to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne, the throne of David and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said, but how is this going to be because I am a virgin? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, oh, and by the way, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to be unable to conceive as in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So he says, this is going to happen to you, but just by the way, I've already done another miracle in your family, and your cousin, uh, she is now she's going to also conceive and have a child. Um, and so he wants to give her some encouragement, saying, hey, you're not in this alone. You're, you're go, not going through this by yourself. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May, may your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And then it says, at that time, Mary got ready, and hurried to the town hill country today where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So this would have been a four-day journey for her to leave her town and go to, go to visit her, her cousin. And um, she goes to visit her. So just let me give you a little bit of a kind of context of this, right? So the story of Mary is pretty important. I think sometimes we, we miss out because, um, because of one major reason, because there's something we call Mary worship, right? And where we have uh, made her equal to God, that some, some different branches of, of Christianity have made that. And that's, that's, out of, that's out of bounds. It's out of, out of what God wants because she was not created to be worshipped. 
she was created to be used by God, and she just has an important role. Um, so there's one extreme of making her equal to God, right, and worshiping her. That's not good. There's another extreme of ignoring the fact that she was blessed and used by God in a great way. And I think both extremes are, are damaging to us because we miss out on the story of Mary. And throughout Scripture, God chose to use a lot of times different women in powerful ways. Um, and even in the language you'll see through this Scripture, it, it's, uh, throughout this, this chapter of Luke, is there's this, all this language that ties back to the Old Testament of the promises of God and what God wants to do in us and through us, all right? So Mary gets, um, goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and as soon as she greets her, it says when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. So little John, he leaps in her womb, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what the angel said to, to um, Zechariah, right? He's going to be born, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So here's the moment that happens, and he's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth has this experience now where her baby experiences the presence of God, right? Experiences uh, the fact that Mary is now... Um, filled with God's presence and with, with, with child, and it has an impact on her life. And Elizabeth breaks into this moment of saying, wow, this is an amazing moment. Let's not miss this. Um, imagine with, with me for a little bit. You think of Mary for a moment, right? Here's a teenage girl who's, who's engaged to be married, and now she finds, finds out she's going to be pregnant with a child that's from God, the Son of God, Jesus. Um, so what is her fiancé going to think about it? What are her parents going to think about it? Like, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. What? Like, that'd be an awkward conversation, right? But it's not for me. It's like I didn't, I didn't, like, it wasn't anybody. It's from God. Like, oh, yeah, sure, Mary. What's been going on? Like, who is it, right? And then Joseph, like, I can't believe this is going on. And I'm sure that the, he'd be really upset, right? But it says he was a kind man. And Matthew talks about Joseph's story. And he says, but, but he, he, he wanted to divorce her quietly because he knew if he did it publicly, there would be a death, her death. Because their law required that when you have an you commit adultery outside of that, then you are uh, you you're under the law. You're you're actually convicted to, to death through stoning, right? And so he's going to let her off quietly. But then God shows up and tells him, "Hey Joseph, this is not any man's doing. This is me. Just trust me." And then Joseph gets he's, he follows what God was doing. So in the middle of all this, if you can just imagine Mary, that'd be a little bit of a struggle. Okay, a really big struggle, right? As a teenage girl trying to figure out exactly what is going on in this moment, it's a big struggle. You know, I think of 2020, when we think of the struggle, we think of the things, the difficulties that we face. You know, some people have seen 2020 as a prison, and others have seen it as a classroom. Some people, they see struggle as prison, but others see it as a classroom. In these four days of Mary's traveling, I bet she was thinking to herself, how am I going to explain this? What am I going to say? How are people going to receive me? Maybe I should just go into hiding. Maybe I should run away. And in the moment of her traveling to her to visit her, her cousin, she's probably processing all this, right? She hasn't said much to God after that. Maybe she's just kind of internalizing it. But here's the thing about struggle. There's an ancient proverb that says, struggle is the midwife to joy. That when we face struggle, it's always going to produce something in our life if we'll stick with it, if we don't give up. And so Mary, I can imagine this struggle, right? It's, it's, it's there, even, even her whole pregnancy. There's a struggle in, in, in preparing that baby, and there's a struggle in the delivery. But at the end of the delivery, there's always a joy of a new creation, right? So God has always wanted to do something new. And in this moment, eventually if she sticks with it and holds on, 
that struggle will turn into something miraculous, something amazing. And in her case, something very supernatural that only God can do. So after her and her cousin have this conversation, Mary breaks out into this song. Because sometimes prayer, sometimes words just aren't enough. You have to sing, and she sings this song. Um, and and, and the song is called the Magnificat. All right? In Latin, it means to magnify. And so this, this, this song, um, let me just tell you what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor who was alive during Nazi Germany. This is what he said about the Magnificat. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It's the first hymn that's ever been sung about, about Christmas. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary when we, whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, and exonerable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. It's about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. What's so significant about this song is that during the British rule in India, the Magnificat was actually prohibited from being sung in church. In the 80s, in Guatemala, the government banned this, the words of this song to be sung and to be in, in churches in their culture. In, in, um, in the 80s, in, in uh, Argentina, during what was called the, the Dirty War, where a lot of kids were, being, were disappearing, moms would paste, post this up in different um, posters around the city. It was banned because of what the significance of what this song was. So when she sings this song, we think of it as a nice hymn or, or song that, that is sung. It's a revolutionary song. It's a declaration that God is, is on the scene, that he's showing up, that all those promises of generations that he's been, had been promising for, for, for thousands and thousands of years is now about to take place. And all those who hold on to power and hold on to wealth, they should be really careful because he's going to show up and show that those things really aren't what we, think, we have believed they are. So let's read this song. This is the song of Mary. The Magnificent says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she recognizes that she is also in need of a Savior, all right? So she glorifies God, my Savior. Has he been mindful of this humble state of his servant? From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So she's blessed, but notice why she recognizes why she's blessed, because God has done something for her. So if God has done something for you, you're also blessed, and I'm blessed. And we can even proclaim that. Even the song that we sang earlier, the blessing, right? We're saying God has shined his face upon us. We're blessed because of what God has done. Holy is his name because I'm in need of a Savior. He has done great things for me. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud, of their, proud in their inmost thoughts. So pride is not just external, it's also internal. And she's saying he only exposed the internal parts of it. She goes on and says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. This is what scared the leaders and the, the dictators and the, those that wanted to keep this part of it quiet, right? Because he's brought the rulers down from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble, the poor, the marginalized. God loves them. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I read that. I thought, that's really interesting. He sent the rich away empty. I, I've read multiple stories of people who were very rich, who lived a life that was very empty. In fact, I read a story just this last week about this man who tried to commit suicide by drowning. And one of his uh, protégés jumps in and saves him from drowning. He says, why would you save me? He says, I don't want to live. He says, what are you talking about? You have everything that you would ever want. And he, and he looks at the boy and says, whatever you do in your life, don't do what I've done. 
Like, don't copy me. I'm not the model that you want to follow. Because wealth will leave us empty if that's the goal of our life. And God says, I'm going to show you that life is more than wealth. Life is more than power. And he, and, he, and he comes to the humble. He comes to the poor. He feeds us and he satisfies those who need him. And it says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she's saying the past is now, the promises of the past are now about to come true in the present and in the future. God is on the scene. He is here to do what he has promised. What's interesting about this whole, this, this song, if you read Psalm 113, there's a lot of very similar ideas and words. So Mary, as a Jewish girl, she would have, been, she would have memorized all the Psalms. That was part of her, her, her upbringing. She would have memorized the Psalms. So a lot of her language is about the Psalms, and a lot of the language is about the promises of God to Abraham and to the descendants from generation, right? So now, she, as a young girl, she's saying, all these things I've been taught for years, and all the things that my, my cult, country and culture has believed for, for thousands of years is about to show up on the scene. And she's saying, something's about to happen now. So the reason I think, since Sarah asked me last, a couple weeks ago, she says, why did, why did God send Mary to go with her cousin Elizabeth for a while? I think because she was supposed to catch some of what Elizabeth had, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of hope, because Elizabeth was ahead of her on the journey, right? She was showing, and, and she was pregnant. It was a miracle, and she was supposed to catch some of that excitement of this is a God thing, and God's going to do the same thing in your life. Hope is what shines through to others in times of trouble. When others look at our lives and they see the trust that we have in Christ, hope is what shines through to them. Paul says it like this, all right? In Romans 5, he says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So the struggles we go through is supposed to produce maturity in us. It's supposed to produce character. And when we have character, it actually produces hope in us, for us, but also for others. That, that hope, he says, does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint. This does put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul is saying in this struggle, God wants to produce some character in our life. He wants to use this to help us become better people. Well, sometimes in the struggle, what comes out as our struggle, we, we see faith, hope, and love, which God wants to produce. That's part of the character, what he wants to do. But other times, and I would say even 2020, I've seen a lot of this, oftentimes it's resentment, despair, and a reason to blame others when we go through struggle. 2020. Has it been a life full of faith, hope, and love that you're encouraged and you're holding on to something? Or has it been a, life, a, a year where you've let go and you're, you're resentful, you despair a little bit, and you even blame others all the time? Well, I would say the difference is one is holding on and one is letting go. One is choosing to hang on to what God has. The other one is choosing to let go of to believe for God. So God loves us. He's committed to us. He wants us to continue to seek him. right? He wants us to continue to, to believe that he's going to produce something. So I would just say it like this. Hold on. 2020 is almost over. Thank God, right? 2021, who knows how it's going to be? Who knows what's going to be? But I would say this, hold on. Hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to the promises that God has for you. Hold on to what God has said. See, the difference between hope and despair is one thing. Holding on to something that is greater than what you're going through or letting go and believing that what you're going through is all there's ever going to be. It's a choice that you make. Hope is holding on to a better future. Despair is letting go this is why people check out. This is why people commit suicide by drowning, by jumping off bridges, by blowing up the brains, whatever, however way you want to talk about it. They despair. They let go of life. They let go of any kind of hope that the future will be better. 
and they think all that matters is the, what I'm feeling in the moment, and they let go. They give up. They let go. Let's not be those kind of people. Let's be the people that say, I'm going to hold on to something better. Would you fair, watch this video and uh, try to wrap up this message today. Tell you get some tissue. Sorry about that. Great, great video, right? Great story. When you have something to hold on to, something that's greater than whatever you're going through, than the struggle, you're willing to push through. You're willing to do whatever it takes to get to that place. That's what hope is. It's holding on. It's not giving up. It's holding on and saying, "I have something of value that I can hold on to. I'm not going to give up because there's a better future. There's a better tomorrow. Something more." And it doesn't mean hope, hope not as a wish of I, I can't wait till it gets better and one day it's going to get better. No, it's, it's a confidence in knowing that something's going to take place because God said it. So I'm going to do what I have to do today to be able to get to that place. You don't give up. You hold on. But you also have action tied to it. You know, there's a, a story of a man, not a story, it's a book, of a man named Viktor Frankl, who was a Viennese psychiatrist who lived through the death camps uh, during Nazi Germany. He was there for a few years in one of the death camps. And he, made, he lived through it and, and was able to tell about it. And so he became a psychiatrist, and he, he um, um, tells what he experienced in that. And this is what he says. He said, any attempt to restore man's inner strength in, pr- in the prison camp had first to succeed in showing him some future goal. He who has a why to live can bear most of any how. He who has a why can bear almost any struggle. He says whenever there's an opportunity for it, one has to give them a why and aim for their lives in order to strengthen them to bear the terrible how of their existence. 2020, if there's been a terrible how of your existence, he's saying make sure you have a good why to hold on to, a good promise. Woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point in carrying on. Suffering ceases to be suffering in some way at the moment it finds a meaning. Suffering ceases to be suffering in some way at the moment that it finds meaning to keep pushing through. He made it through because he had a why. He had a reason to push through. Those who, who didn't, they lost faith. They gave up. They eventually died. He said, we have to be those kind of people that don't give up. What I love about the Christmas story, especially the first chapter, is God starts off with the really old and he starts off with the pretty young, marginalized, right? Those that wouldn't have a big voice. Those that might not think, I don't know how much God can use me. And he chooses them to be used by God. It's the Christmas story. God's going to choose the weak. He's going to choose the poor. He's going to choose those who don't think they can. He says, I'm going to use you to hold on hold on to something. We can say it like this. We can get through almost anything, no matter how hard or difficult, if we know our purpose, a goal, a future, and we have hope. We can get through almost anything. If we have a why to hold on to, a reason to continue on, that's what hope is, right? It's not, it's not giving up, but it's holding on. So I would just encourage you, hope. Choose hope. Choose to hold on. Choose to hold on to something in the future. You know, um, I read a story of a teacher. She was an activist for uh, children with severe disabilities. 
And uh, she would do some different projects and works. And one of the things she used to like is this summer, there's a summer program that for a week long, kids with, with cancer and, and severe disabilities would go for a week and just be campers. They would just be kids, not patients, but just be kids for a week, play games and have fun. And during one of the weeks, one summer, she met this young girl, what she called a sunny, magical child. She had two genetic diseases that severely impacted her development. And, uh, and so she, she was just, she, she had a lot of different issues. But this lady saw something in her that was different. Well, during one of the days at, at camp, they're in a circle and they're playing the game Duck, Duck, Goose, right? And so one of the girls, one of the other kids chooses this little girl that's next to her to, to, to be the, the one. She taps her on the shoulder. So the little girl's holding on to a letter, a little envelope like this, and she, she passes it to this lady. And this lady, she, she notices the envelope, it's from her mom. And so as the girl, it's going to take a while because the disability, she's going to get up and go around this big circle really slowly. She's intrigued. She wants to know what, what exactly, she said, I had to simply know what the parents, this child's parents had done to make her so spectacular. But what made her so optimistic, the most enthusiastic, the most hopeful person I've ever met? So what made this girl like this? And so she looks at the envelope and she kind of just opens it and she scans for a second and the bottom line catches her attention. And this is what the bottom line said. It said, if God had given us all the children in the world to choose from, we would have only have chosen you. And she said quick to her coworkers, said, look at this. Here's the secret of life. Having something to hold on to, something that somebody believes in you. And she said that moment, she realized what her parents had done. They'd given her hope. They'd given her an encouragement that the words of love and encouragement that that letter taught that girl that she was important, she matters, despite whatever disabilities and challenges she had in life. No matter what the struggles were, they were there for her. And she was going to get through it and they'd be there with her. That's what hope is. Hope passes on. Hope is saying, hold on because pain ends. Hold on, pain ends. Hang in there. Don't give up because pain will eventually end. If you don't give up, you will see something produced in your life. The reason people don't see the joy and experience the joy is because they give up. And God is saying, hold on, pain ends. And then he wants us to do this so we can pass on hope to others and they can see it. You know, um, 2020 has been a tough year, but for me, it hasn't been the hardest year. I've had harder years. Back 2008, if you remember the, the economy, what took place in 2008, uh, that was significant for me as an individual because um, we almost lost our home. Uh, all these different things came up. I've told the story before, but it was just a hard year. So 2020 has not been as heavy for me as 2008 was. That was a year that was very heavy. And I remember when I was at my wit's end, I was at this point where I was like, I felt like a failure. I felt like uh, just things were going to just gonna, we're going to lose everything. It just it was horrible. I felt this heavy weight on my shoulders. And in the middle of that. Um, I remember that there was a, 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 a lady in my life, uh, another Christian lady, who, who heard from God and gave me a word for me from him. And it was powerful because when I felt like giving up, God says, don't give up because I have something more for you. And so, so during this, this, this moment in the encounter, she says, I want to pray for you. And she says, I, I see that you're struggling. I want to pray for you. And, and, I, and by the way, I, have, I think God wants me to tell you something. And she prayed for me, and the first word she prayed for me was this, Eric, you're not a failure. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. And I broke, and I began to cry because in the room before I came out to talk to this lady, I was, felt like a failure. And those are the words that I actually spoke uh, about what I was going through. I felt like I'd failed. 
And she said, you're not fair, not fair. And then she t- said all this other stuff from God, and I, it was really powerful, but I was crying. And so a couple of days later, I get a letter, and she says, um, God spoke some things to you, but I think in that moment you might have missed some of it. So he wanted me to write it down for you. And she wrote these things down, and she wrote some scriptures, and she gave it to me. And it sits in my office so that when I go through something hard, I could pick up the letters. And I can remember, God got me through that hard time. He could get me through the next hard time. You have to hold on to his promises. You have to hold on to what he said. I look at the life of David. Why was this young teenage boy so courageous against this, this, this warrior named Goliath, who should have killed him easily? Because David had a word from God just days before that said, David, you're going to be the next king. So David knew if God spoke to me something that's not come to pass yet, then I must be the one that's going to win on the battlefield. Or he's going to perform a miracle. But he's going to do something. And he went with hope and with courage. And I think sometimes we don't fight the Goliaths. We don't fight the battles because we're not holding on anything more that's more powerful than the thing we face. And for 2020, COVID and elections has been more powerful than the thing that we hold on to, so we give up. The story of Mary, the story of Elizabeth and, and um, Zachariah, it says, hold on. The pain will end. Hold on. The, the, the promises that God made are going to come true. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God's not done with you. Psalm 31 says, Take heart. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. If your hope's in the Lord, take heart. Remain strong. You know, I would say this, that um, sometimes I, I meet Christians who have their head down a little low and they're just kind of discouraged. You know, a defeated Christian is actually an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a defeated Christian. If you're a Christ follower, you won. It doesn't matter what you face in life, you've already won. Yes, there are struggles we have to go through, but that's usually to prepare us. That's usually to teach us something. And usually to create more hope in our lives. But at the end, we've won. First Corinthians, Paul says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is already ours. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So here's my challenge for today and for this season and for the end of 2020 and going into 2021. Would you hold on? Get some promises. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know these promises. God wrote us a really awesome letter. It's called the Bible. In fact, he, he even called them letters, right? In the New Testament, Paul wrote letters to the Philippians, a church in Philippi, in Philippi to encourage them. In prison, saying, guys, you can make it through here. He wrote to the Galatians, saying, guys, when you face difficult things, hang in there because God wants to produce something in your life. He wrote to the Corinthians. He says, hey, hope always perseveres. It always hopes. It doesn't give up. Peter wrote to us, and John wrote to us, and Jesus wrote all of these great things. They recorded from the things he said. He's saying, would you grab these promises, and would you hold on to them? And when you're discouraged, would you pick them up and remind yourself, God chose you. God has things for you to do. Don't give up. And your hope will pass on no matter how old, how young, anywhere in between. God says, I choose you. Would you hold on to these promises? Don't give up. And when you do this, others will be encouraged. Others will be inspired. Others will also be able to accomplish what God's calling them to. Hold on. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head today? Maybe you're in this room and your um, 2020 has been really hard for different reasons. And maybe a part of you has already given up. And maybe when you talk about 2021, you think it's not going to be any different from this year. 
could be another prison. Maybe you're on the verge of letting go. Can I tell you, your story's not done yet. Don't give up. Don't stop working towards the next thing. Keep developing, keep dreaming, keep believing. Find some promises from God. If you don't know the promises, begin to read the Psalms. Say, God, what are those promises you have? Read Jesus' words. What are those promises you have? One of those promises is that when you build your life upon him, your life will be built on something solid. And when the storms come, your life won't fall. Maybe you're here today in the room, or maybe you're watching online, and today you may need to make a decision that says, God, I'm, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on to you. God, I want a relationship with you. I want to follow you. I want my life to count for all the things that you created me for, for your purposes, for your things. If you're in this room today and you just need to say, God, I, I need you in my life. If you're watching, you need to raise your hand right there in that moment. Just say, God, I need you in my life. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer right there. If that's you, would you just let me know you're here in this room? That's me. I need some hope. I need some encouragement. I need some strength. I want to follow God's lead. Like Mary, I would say, God, let it be done so to your servant. If you're watching online, you're discouraged. That's you. In this moment, would you pray this prayer with us? For you that raised your hand, pray this prayer. And for the rest of us in the room, would you pray with us so that those who raise their hand aren't praying alone? Say this today. Say, Father God, I choose you. I choose to hold on to your promises, to your purposes, to your word in my life. Help me to know you more. Forgive me when I look the other way. When I turn away from you, today I choose to hold on to you. Produce in me things that you want to produce. The character, the faith, the hope, the love. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to give us an example of how to live. To give us hope and courage. Today, I take heart. Because you have overcome the world. Put my trust in you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate all those in this room and online, those who prayed? So good.